We gather here in this sacred space on a spring morning made holy by the faith of the centuries to celebrate life's possibilities, to reflect on life's mysteries, to rejoice in love's transforming power. And though our lives may differ, by gathering here this day, we choose to travel alongside one another for a while, sharing that which truly matters to us. Within this circle of the spirit, may we be open to the possibility of transformation by welcoming heart and by life's potential for renewal. So good morning everybody and welcome to Essex Church and to this, our worshipping community of Kensington Unitarians. Outside that spring sunshine is already beaming down and here inside there is the warmth of a gathering of people who accept you as you are. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you're dealing with in life at this moment, Here's a place where you can be yourself in community with others. Today we're holding our Easter Sunday service, this day on which Jesus traditionally is said to have risen from the dead, a day of celebration for Christians around the world. Now as Unitarians and free Christians, we are free to form our own beliefs about the narrative of Easter week. And as human beings, we can share in the hope and promise that this time of the year represents. So let's now take a moment to to create this as a holy time and place for us to share together this morning. We can do this by, by being present in this present moment. Aware of that world outside, but, but willing to let it go for a while. Aware of ourselves and the concerns of our everyday lives, yet perhaps able to hold them a little more lightly, so that we can be a channel for something greater than ourselves, whatever name we give to this. God, Great Spirit, the ground of our very being. May this time be holy, be blessed by our presence together here. And our chalice flame is lit this morning in gratitude for our lives, this symbol of our worldwide progressive Unitarian community. May its message of freedom in religion ring out this Easter morning. We have um, two Bible readings now from um, Mark's Gospel. Um, I'll be reading the first, and it's from Mark 11, 15 to 19. Jesus cleanses the temple. And Jesus and his followers came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons as offerings. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. 
And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Mark's gospel, um, the earliest gospel to be written down, and, and I'm going to be reading the original final verses of that gospel. A later writer added verses telling of Jesus's appearance to his followers, but Mark's gospel ends like this with the word afraid. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They'd been saying to one another, who will roll away the tomb for us from the, the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So let's join now in a time of prayer and reflection. As I call on the spirit of life and love that shines within each of us to be here with us now, to illuminate this, our time of worship, that insight and clarity may shine through us, brightening our spirits and those all around us. As life is everywhere in this season of spring, season of renewal, evident in each new bud and shoot, each young child, we pray that our lives may be blessed with that same renewal we see all around us in nature's annual celebration. We ask that our eyes may be opened to gifts and companions that are part of our journey who we may be taking for granted. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to walk the way of life with our eyes on the road ahead and forget to look over into the eyes who, of those who share the way with us. Whether they're friends, family, partners, neighbors, 
good to remember that a Holy Spirit can be found in familiar and unexpected places and people. The last place we expect to find that spirit is in the tomb within ourselves. That place where hopes and possibilities lie buried. Limited by circumstances, potential unfulfilled. But maybe this day, hope and possibility can walk beside us. Maybe something unexpected and unheard of awaits you in this season. Let us pause in silent witness to our hopes and our aspirations. And in some further moments of stillness, let's send our thoughts of love and concern to all people and places we know who are hurting and despairing, that they might know hope once more. And may each of us Find, find within ourselves the strength to begin again in love, each hour, each day, accepting that which is, yet always willing to try and make a difference here in this world. And may this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. I know um, some of you know the work of um, Father Richard Raw, um, who is a Franciscan priest. He has a marvellous website and blog, and you can get lots of really useful ideas from, from his work. And this touched me today. He, he, I'm going to read from a, a piece of his about the dualistic mind. Um, and he writes that if, if we're trying to rebuild Christianity from the bottom up, we need to try and understand Jesus, the one who began it all, even though he probably never intended to start a new religion. I am convinced, he writes, that Jesus was the first non-dual religious teacher of the West. And one reason we have failed to understand so much of his teaching, uh, much less follow it, is because we tried to understand it with dualistic minds. In, in his life and ministry, Jesus modelled and exemplified non-duality, more than giving us any systematic teaching on it. Our inability to fully understand him and seriously follow him may be partly because we've not been taught how to see non-dually ourselves. So in this piece of writing, he's trying to shed some light on the meaning of dualistic and non-dual thinking. Because until you put on, he says, a wide lens, non-dual set of glasses, you can't see in any genuinely new way. Dualistic thinking 
It's our way of reading reality from the position of our private and our small self. What's in it for me? How will I look if I do this? This is the ego's preferred way of seeing reality. It's the ordinary hardware, if you like, of almost all Western people. Because the dualistic mind is essentially binary, either or thinking. It knows by comparison, by opposition and differentiation. It uses descriptive words like good and evil, pretty and ugly, stupid and smart, love and hate, not realising there may be a hundred degrees between the two ends of this spectrum. Dualistic thinking works well for the, the sake of simplification and conversation, but not for the sake of truth or the immense subtlety of personal experience. So most of us are settling for quick and easy answers instead of any deep perception, which we leave then to the poets, the philosophers, the prophets. We do need a dualistic mind, he writes, to function in practical life. It's helpful and necessary as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough because the dualistic mind of either or cannot process things like infinity, mystery, grace, suffering, sexuality, death, or love. And that is why we stumble over these issues, because the dualistic mind is pulling everything down into some kind of tit-for-tat system of false choices and too simple contraries. Raw ends, what is needed instead is a more contemplative approach that ponders all things and does not rush to judge or to reach conclusions. I'm now going to have some lovely music from uh, Mozart will no doubt help us further in our non-dual thinking.
words to lead us into a meditative time, a silent, still time. These words are from Martin Luther King Jr. And it might seem in these words as if he's speaking of dualities, of either or. But if you explore it a little more in truth, I think he's saying we always have a choice in life of what we move towards. And the opposite is always there as an alternative choice. He writes, Hatred paralyzes life and love releases it. Hatred confuses life and love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life and love illuminates it. As we enter a time of shared stillness together now, which will come to an end with a chime from our bell, I ask you to consider in your own life at this moment, if you wish, what it means to move towards life, to move towards harmony, to move towards illumination. Biblical studies. I have to get you all excited now. Biblical studies go back a long, long way. And one strand of study that's always interested me is what has been called the search for the historic Jesus. Who was this person of whom we have such tantalizing glimpses in the Gospels, in the uh, book of the Acts of the Apostles, and in Paul's letters? For someone whose name is so frequently called upon, we really know very little about Jesus, the man. Some of the words attributed to him in the Bible have been shown by scholars to have been written way after his death by somebody else, unlikely really ever to have come from his lips. You'll even find a few, not many, but a few respected scholars suggesting that Jesus might never have lived at all, that Jesus Christ is indeed a mythic figure. 
Yet though we may never find an agreed truth about Jesus, it's clear that something happened to his followers, seemingly after his death. And the religion that they began to then establish has changed our world for good and for ill. Often at Easter time, I am ever grateful for the cultural flowering that has come about through religion in, in the Western world and through Christianity. And I still personally find it helpful to think of Jesus as a person, a real human being who lived and who died on this earth and who brought some simple yet profoundly challenging teachings to our attention. The question, what would Jesus do, has, has become a humorous question in some circles. But it's actually quite useful to, to look at life today through a different lens. What would this radical teacher have to say to us today, I wonder? How would he react to the events of our time, to the challenges we face, and to the problems of our crowded world? We'll never know, but it is okay to imagine. And I imagine the Jesus who cried more than once in those Gospels, the Jesus who cried, crying today as he witnessed those shocking attacks on churches in Sri Lanka, as he'd have cried in response to the attacks on mosques in New Zealand a few weeks ago. I, I imagine Jesus in Northern Ireland today, comforting the family of journalist Lyra McKee, aged 29. An exciting life ahead of her, and a useful life ahead of her, now ended by a terrorist gunman, um, aged only 18 or 19 by all accounts. I imagine Jesus comforting Lyra's partner, Sarah, and her family. And I reckon he'd even have time to comfort the families of those young gunmen. And he'd have understood the centuries of hatred that have led to those divides in Northern Ireland. Divisions found the world over where people have been caught up in dualistic thinking of us and them, losing sight of our common shared humanity. I reckon the Jesus who was crossing off with the powers of his day to overturn tables in the temple courtyard, I reckon he'd find time to join the Extinction Rebellion protesters who have brought parts of London and its relentless traffic to a stop. And you know, I think he'd have been as pleased as I was yesterday to walk around that marble arch roundabout in complete peace and tranquility for once. No traffic drowning out the sounds of the birds in spring. And Jesus might well have chosen to uh, be arrested along with those protesters because there are and always have been, and I hope always will be, some people in any human society that know some causes are actually worth fighting for, worth losing your liberty for, perhaps even worth losing your life for, though I would rather that were not. And I think now of some of the women who are protesting in Saudi Arabia and being treated appallingly for their striving for some level of freedom over their own lives. Sometimes anger needs to be expressed in support of love. Perhaps though it also then needs to be followed by truly radical non-violence 
and I find the words on the front of today's order of service to be a constant challenge. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I don't know if many of us are up for that one. Jesus would remind us to watch out for our own dualistic thinking. He'd warn us of the dangers of pinning too great an importance on our own likes and dislikes in this world. He'd uh, remind us to pay attention to our disapproving, judging minds. He'd tell us to wake up when we start blaming some other group and when we think that the fault lays at their door. He'd remind us about how easy it is to spot a speck of dust in our neighbor's eyes when there's a great big plank of wood that we're carrying around sticking out of our own eye. I think he'd warn us to watch out for any dualistic thinking in our leaders. And I think he'd ask us to take great care of one another and of our wider world. And to remember the power of love to transform everything. Amen. And so in the week ahead, let us hold that hope in our hearts and find ways to bring hope to the lives of others. Let us practice loving our neighbours as ourselves all of us sharing this remarkable, precious planet Earth home, together. Happy Easter, everyone, and amen. Go well and blessed be. And we're now going to have Gloria sung. If any of you know this um, song from the singing group with Margaret, or even from other sources, just join in. It's such a lovely song. <laughs>